This is a podcast from Rover. Lynn, how does it feel to finally be down under and see this Hamilton show in the flesh after sort of facilitating it from Zoom for the last few years? Uh, it's amazing. Uh, it's really exciting. You know, we, we were casting this in the midst of the pandemic. Um, I remember the Zoom meetings with Michael Castle, who is our amazing partner uh, over here, and, uh, and, and just knowing that we probably weren't going to get to see it in person when it premiered. And there was a moment where the Australian production of Hamilton was the only production running in the world. Um, and that really, I can't overstate sort of how much hope that gave the rest of us. You know, it was really, a lot of us were wondering, is, is, are we ever going back to normal? Are we ever going to be able to put up the show again? Are we going to be able to t- tell the story again? Um, and so I just, you know, when people ask me why Brisbane, I was like, it's the soonest I could get here. <laughs> I'm really thrilled to be here. And uh, do you think that the Australian actors, and because there's some new Kiwi actors, New Zealand actors as well, do you think they've brought a certain flair to it? And have you noticed any of that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, listen, anytime you're George Washington, is there's there's Hakka movements happening yeah. in the Battle of the York. That was the, that was the one... It's pretty extraordinary. He's got a sword in one hand, and he's and he's and he's got this hand going like this. And you know, I'm, I w- I spotted it because I worked on Moana, and I got like a crash course in in, in lots of different Pacific Island cultures in working on that film. Um, and yeah, that was really exciting. Um, but what but what's also exciting is that you've got this story that's set in this very specific time and place. But the storytellers also influence it and influence how it's being told. Do you ever feel, does it ever feel strange watching different versions of your show, knowing it's your show and you've played the character? Do you, do, can you ever take off that hat where you're trying to critique it? Or do no. you just enjoy it for what it is? Well, it's part of my job to critique it. I mean, it, part of the job is like, all right, is everyone telling the story? Is the story that we wrote being served? Um, but, but the other part of it is just, I mean, really what I get to do, especially since for a year, my vantage point was from inside the show, was I get to glory in all the stuff I couldn't see from my vantage point on stage. I get to see all, I, I, I probably watched the surround more than any other audience member because I couldn't see the surround when I was inside of it. Um, and all that amazing movement that's also strengthening the storytelling um, and, and the work our ensemble is doing. Can you talk to us about the, the cultural importance of Hamilton and why it's such a worldly story despite it being a story about America's founding fathers? Because I think there is sort of something that we can all kind of relate to in different countries and different parts of the world, but why do you think it's important to go watch it? Well, I'll, I'll tell you that story in, in, in a different way, which is um, there's a famous story about the Japanese premiere of Fiddler on the Roof. And Fiddler on the Roof is about this Jewish community in Anatevka, um, very specific part of the world. And there's a story that... Joe Stein, the librettist, used to tell this Japanese audience member comes over and goes, I hear you guys are involved in the show and I hear that this is a hit in America. How is that possible? It's so Japanese. (laughs) Um, And that's kind of how I feel about Hamilton. I mean, yes, in its specifics, it is about, uh, you know, America before it's just, just before it's become the United States of America. Um, But um, the stories it's telling are really about legacy about history, about how we are remembered and who and how that depends on who we are survived by. Um, and, and also at its center, there are sort of three different approaches to life. Um, you've got Hamilton and Burr, both orphaned at an early age, seen untold trauma at an early age, and they have different fundamental responses to it. Burr is cautious and terrified of messing up. 
And Hamilton is reckless because what else could go wrong? And he feels like he's just, tomorrow's not promised. Um, and at the most important moment in their lives, Burr is reckless and Hamilton is cautious and one shoots the other and that's how they're remembered forever. Um, and, and then you've got the third story of Eliza who, who goes on to live another 50 years. And while Burr and Alexander have been worrying about being great, she has worried about being good. Uh, my buddy Jack Thorne, who worked on his Dark Materials, always talks about that greatness versus goodness. We'll do terrible things in the name of achieving greatness, but it's far more noble and far more lasting um, to chase goodness. Do you... Um, I, when, I, when I watched the show last night, I was absolutely blown away by the rhymes and just the cadence of everything and how it fits so perfectly. And I know, you know, you spent so long working on it, but does your brain just, like, think in rhymes? Is that how that works? It depends on how recently I've performed in a hip-hop show. Um, I, you know, I have this hip-hop improv group called Freestyle Love Supreme that I've been performing with for over 20 years. Actually, the only other time I was in Australia was with Freestyle Love Supreme at the Melbourne Comedy Festival in 2006. Um, and when you do a show like that, where you're just making up rhymes based on audience suggestions, the rest of the night, your brain is working in that form and it takes a while to shake it. Um, but yeah, but, but that also feeds my writing. Um, you know, it's, it's exciting to find that unexpected rhyme. It's exciting to find that unexpected turn of phrase that is right for the character. As I was saying just before the interview, my producer, Troy, if you could just say hi, Troy, he would love hi, it. Troy. Oh. He is so obsessed with you. He's such a massive fan. He's even got a 3090 tattoo, actually. Whoa, tick, tick, boom, yeah. gang. All right. And one thing he wanted me to ask you is um, both in Hamilton and Tick, Tick, Boom, it deals with themes about running out of time. Do you feel like you're running out of time? I think we're all... That feels a bit grim, doesn't it, when I say it like that? It's... Well, when you say it with the hard you, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think we all are, and it's just a question of how conscious we are of that ticking. Jonathan was someone who was very conscious of it um, and really felt like um, he, was, he was on borrowed time. And, and thank God he felt that because he, didn't, he had no way of knowing, and we had no way of knowing, but he was. He had this... Um, you know, condition, and it's, and it's tragic that we lost him so soon. But yeah, I mean, I think a big part of being alive is, like, how conscious are you of that ticking clock at any given time? You can't be too conscious of it, otherwise you'll never relax a second in your life. You do have to stop and chill. Um, but also, um, you know, you can't spend all day binging on Netflix. Like, you do have to do something with this one life you have. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think it's an accident that my characters are often dealing with that because it's something I think about. Now, I saw a tweet the other day, and it says, um, I don't like that I haven't heard from Lynn in a while. That can't mean anything good. Because you're so, I don't know, present in, in so many different ways. Do you ever feel like you can just take a step back and just chill out for a bit? Well, I'm just making shit. <laughs> I'm just, I, I mean, I haven't been on Twitter in like two years. Because yeah. um, uh, that was a really big sort of... Um, it's, it's an audience in your pocket, and that's a dangerous thing for, for someone who likes an audience. People on Twitter are ruthless. Yeah, well, it's yeah. a cesspool. Yeah. And, um, but, but I also, um, yeah, I've just been kind of making stuff. I've been, you know, I'm, I'm writing lyrics for a new show for, for John Kander, which opens in a month called New York, New York. Um, I'm, I'm writing my next show, and I'm just kind of, you know, anytime I feel the impulse to tweet, I just text my friends instead. <laughs> I save my joy for my friends these days. 
And for the audience, because I'm here from New Zealand and we're about to get Hamilton in New Zealand, it's going to be Auckland for a month, which we're really excited about, especially with... And a huge house. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with um, Matu, because he is from New Zealand. It'll be so cool for him to finally come home. Um, For anyone in New Zealand that maybe hasn't heard of Hamilton or hasn't seen anything like it, what what would you tell them to say, to convince them that they have to go watch the show? I'm not going to convince you. I think that, um, well, here's what what I would say was, first of all, I'd love to go back and see them in New Zealand. I was lucky enough to go to New Zealand right when I got the job to write songs for Moana. And I remember uh, a glorious weekend with uh, Opataya and Mark Mancina writing We Know the Way in a cabin overlooking this amazing vista. Um, And so I selfishly would just love to go back there and and see it there and see how it plays. Um, but, But, you know, I... What you have to know is that this company is really extraordinary, and and um, and and this you know just the the talent pool uh, in in Auckland and in Australia is just so extraordinary, and so they're they're just telling a really amazing story. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Lynn. Yeah, it's been incredible. You're actually the sweetest, most generous human being, especially with the answers. Oh my god, oh. I've been nervous all morning. <laughs> oh, no me, thank you.